0: I've been waiting for months to preach on this verse. So much so that we had to do a 40-some-odd lesson series just to get to this verse. Don't say that we're lacking in preparation. It is an incredible thought that you and I can please God. Do you recognize that that's possible? that when God looks our direction, He smiles. And I'm not talking about that He just smiles because we're in Christ. I'm talking about that He smiles for a different reason. We love our children, yes? Unconditionally. Regardless of what they do, regardless of what they go through, In fact, I find that some of the reasons I get so frustrated is because I care so much. But let's be honest, what we find to be pleasing is when we've taken the time to provide instruction and they followed it. That's also called a miracle, (laughs) right? But we're pleased. In fact, if you were to go through the Proverbs and it often talks about do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Do not cast off the instruction of your father because it's Solomon pouring out his heart saying, kids, listen. They've been there. They've done that. Some of them got burned and they want to tell you how to stay away from the fire. And when that happens, There is a feeling that comes over a parent like you don't even understand. It's well-pleasing. You find yourself smiling and you're like, wow, this is nice. Obedience is the means of pleasing God. If we want to know what it is for God to be well-pleased with us, we will obey. And sadly, we live in a culture where the idea of obedience is a dirty word. But if we want to take Jesus' words seriously in John 14, we understand that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he's not talking about the Ten Commandments there. He's talking about everything that he had to command disciples who would move on, and the birth of the church would be founded through them by the Holy Spirit in order to usher in this brand new dispensation. Obedience is the key. In fact, I think you would find that the world is encouraging disobedience. Why do you think that Satan spends so much time threading tactics? Why do you think that he's so active in making us inactive? He wants nothing more than for the body of Christ to be overweight, bleeding, sorry, pitiful, kind of mulling around in our own Worthlessness. And trying to convince us all the while that Jesus is not really who he said he was. Maybe he got you over the line. But he won't carry you forward. And that's a lie. But to sit here and think for a moment that we don't have some sort of responsibility, a personal responsibility, which is preached all the way from Genesis Throughout the scriptures, this is where we come to lie to ourselves. We have a personal responsibility to respond to God. Have you ever noticed that when it comes down to what I want, that I don't really need to have a discussion with anybody about it? It's just what I want. Are you like that? I want this. And therefore, because you want it, that's all the value that that thing needs, right? It's an emotion. It's a trigger. It's a reaction. How often do we stop and ask the question, does God want this for me? See, we don't like to do that because that's called meddling. And once we ask God's opinion, we find out that what we wanted was wrong and what He wants for us is right and there's a dissonance that cannot find harmony. If God wants something for you, do you think it has value? Do you think it has worth? In fact, here's what I find throughout the Scriptures. Anytime that anybody has dared to trust the Lord and anything that He has ever wanted for their lives instead of what they wanted for themselves, you find that it always results in a bursting forward of worship. And what makes up the whole idea of worship? It's ascribing worth and value to God because of who He is and what He's done. That's not just out there. That's right here. And it's especially right here. So here's what we find. God has provided not just the love, not just the ability, not just the mercy, but also the motives for what it is to live a godly life. And so when we hit chapter 12, verse 1 in Romans, we find a very pivotal, pivotal point in Scripture. Now let's refresh this real quick for those of you that like to take notes and grab onto this. There is an outline to Romans. But it's actually, it can be broken down pretty heavy, but you can actually set it out into three areas that are pretty, pretty easy. Dave, can we bring those up? Now the outline. should be right above that. Nope, right above it, above. we got a lot of slides to go through today. Let me just give it to you. Chapters 1 through 8 of Romans, ah, there it is, are doctrinal. What do I need to know? What has God done and what do I need to know? And here's the reason why, because until your mind is convinced of it, you'll never act upon it. I mean, the whole reason why we get what we want and we go after things we shouldn't have is because your mind is convinced that you need it when you don't. At least mine is. That's how I find I get in trouble. My mind was leading me in a direction before anything else. Doctrinal is for the purpose of letting me know what I need to know. What has God said? What's his perspective about things? You find that 9 through 11 is dispensational because it deals with Israel's past, present, and future and how the inner working of his present work with the Gentiles relates to and parallels what's going to happen in the future with Israel. Important stuff for us to need to know because God is telling us the future in these matters. But when you hit chapter 12, verse 1, you step into a realm of the practical. You step into, it's not now just about what you know, it's time to actually put feet on these ideas and live it out. It's time to actually be the difference, not just know the difference. In fact, you would be very hard-pressed to find In a first century Jewish mindset of which these scriptures would have circulated, the idea of truly saying that you had a grasp on something if you had not been actively applying it into your life. And isn't that the whole point of the scriptures? The scriptures were given to change lives, not to fill heads. And any time that we've ever used doctrine in order to beat our brother and sister in Christ, we have failed miserably in understanding what it is to handle the word rightly. So now Paul wants to caution against this. Here's why grace matters. Let's read through. In fact, if you want, you can lift up just a second and probably under the left cheek there somewhere, you're going to find this. I got your attention now? Some of you are going to sleep. If you're a mom today, I'm going to give you a pass. Guys, no pass. You probably got this. Let's read through this together. Romans 12.1, memory verse for this month. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is an incredible verse. Because Paul is saying, now we're going to take this turn here. And it's not that the turn is disconnected from what we understood, but the palette is going to broaden. And we're going to talk about what our responsibility is in responding to the grace of God. How do you deal with that? Now, my favorite is the very first word. What is it? Therefore. And because we're all good hermeneutes, we ask the question what? What's that there for? And we find it encapsulates everything that Paul has talked about since the beginning. Because, number one, all creation is guilty before a holy God. Doesn't matter who you are, he is the creator, we are the creatures, and we are plagued with unbelief, and we need saving. Left up to ourselves, we run headlong into hell. Now, if you are writing this down and you're like, good grief, I'm not going to get all this, that's a lot. It's going to be on the website later. Mitch, it's going to be on the website later? It is now. I love the vote of confidence from the back. I am bubbling over with pride. Number two, we are justified freely by His grace. That's what Romans 3.24 tells us. You have been declared righteous by a holy God based on nothing that you've done. It is all the complete and sufficient work of His Son on the cross, and that is offered freely to you, and is it accepted by you, by one way and one way only, and that's faith alone. Are you convinced that Jesus Christ has died for your sins? If that's the case, you now have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's a beautiful and wonderful thing, because there's every reason for assurance at that point. The third thing is, we have new life powered by the Spirit. It's not just the Spirit is doing things around us, He's doing things in us. And just as Jesus is raised from the dead, we now have a new life to walk in. And it's not that I need to try better and I need to do harder, it's just that I need to give up the fight and let the Holy Spirit be the difference in my life. When you do better and you try harder, you find that you fail more. That's not what it's about. It's about Jesus molding us through the Spirit into His image. The fourth one, we have total security of our salvation. There is not a thing you can do now and into the rest of your life that will ever negate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is absolutely impossible. You cannot outsend His grace, you cannot outrun His grasp. Making sure somebody's car the lord punish them for leaving church early anyway just <laughs> kidding you laugh i praise him number 5 is anybody in here really wow number 5 God's promises for Israel will prevail despite their unbelief. Despite that large, by and large, the Jews have turned away from their Messiah. God's promise does not stop. In fact, this is the reason why we read what we read in 11. A partial hardening is on Israel right right now. Why? Because when when their Messiah showed up, they killed him instead of accepting him. And so God is punishing them. He is blinding them partially for this time. Now the benefit that comes out of that is that the gospel has come forward to us. They are consigned to a point of disobedience. You know why? So that they can have mercy. When we get arrogant in our Christianity, God can easily set aside the Gentiles and bring the the Jews back to the forefront. But we're all consigned in a realm of disobedience. Why is that? Because he desires to have mercy on every single person. Therefore, look what he says. I urge you, brethren, believers or unbelievers? Believers. And this idea of urge, it's the Greek word parakaleo. It's the idea of para, to come alongside. Kaleo, to call. To call alongside. And when it's intensified or when it's got this this application that's going to be springing out of it, it is borderline between a begging and a command that must be followed. Paul is saying, Christian, if you're going to do anything in light of the lavish grace that God has poured forward, do this and don't let anything stop you. This is the way. That you live this out so that your life is completely changed. So I urge you, brethren, and notice what he says. By the what of God? The mercies. Where have we seen that? Wasn't it all through 11? I mean, go back and just take a look real quick. Dave, you don't have to bring it up on the screen. Verse 30. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy. Verse 31, so these also now have been disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may be shown mercy. Verse 32, for God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. So because of this merciful giving and this searching and this wanting to let people live out their lives and find fruitlessness in every endeavor that they come to, they are now candidates for mercy because they're ready to receive mercy. The gospel. Whatever they were doing doesn't work. If God is acting mercifully with all people in it, then by those mercies, I'm begging you, believers, do this. Should Paul have to beg them? Why not? We got the Holy Spirit. Notice he's not begging them to to, to have the Holy Spirit. He's not even begging them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not begging them to be saved. He's not begging them to be assured of their salvation. What does he beg them? Watch this. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Present your body. Now I don't think that just means your arms, legs, torso, and everything else. I think it means your entire being. Present your body. Does everybody see that there is a priestly covering over this? What it is to bring a sacrifice, yes? It's a presentation, is it not? In fact, here's what's really interesting about this is 12 and 6 meet. Do me a favor. Turn back to Romans 6 for just a second. And watch the language that Paul's using here. Romans 6, look at verse 8. Romans chapter 6. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ. Let me ask you a question. Have you died with Christ? if you've believed in him you've died with him now if we've died with Christ we believe that we also shall also live with him knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead is never to die again death no longer is master over him for the death that he died he died to sin once for all but the life that he lives he lives to who notice that the life that he lives has got one point one focal point it's centered upon god and what he wants that's it it's not a lot of things around it it's pretty clear i only need to come to a conclusion in every situation in my life what does god Want. That's the difference. So notice, Christ dies to sin, and the life he now lives resurrected. He lives it unto God. Have we died to sin? We have. Have we been resurrected with him? We have. Therefore, how should our lives be lived? To God. Verse 11 Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, favorite word again, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Why does he warn that? Because it's possible for a Christian to let sin reign in their mortal body. And here's what he's saying. You don't got to live like that. You've actually been called into better. Verse 13, and do not go on, here's the word, what's it say? presenting do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to who same audience everybody see that same presentation it's like a priest coming with a sacrifice and bringing it to an altar and laying it before god and saying this is for you We used to worship at an altar of unrighteousness. We used to put all of our effort into sin and how it best serves us thinking that we were top dog. Somebody lied to us. Nothing's worse than thinking that you're top dog and you're actually a pawn. Because that's how Satan runs this world. Guess what? When we become believers in Christ a million wonderful things happen to us but that old thinking plagues us. And until the mind is renewed we will never get away from it. Or let's say it this way until the mind until how we think about life and existence changes we'll never be different people. That's why the Bible is a truth. It is the only truth in existence. And if it is true what is everything else? Do you believe that? Do you believe that everything else is a lie? Because here's the conclusion you come to. Only what God says matters and everything else pales. Are we willing to say that? Are we willing to say that everything else is going to lead us astray? Doesn't matter if they're friends. Doesn't matter if they're family. Doesn't matter if it's a good job. It doesn't matter, I'm going to step on some toes, but I apologize for that. It doesn't matter if it's for your country. I'm so thankful to God I live in America, and I'm so thankful for the patriotism that we see. But some people have gotten OD on this thing. And it's not about one nation under God, it's about I'm going to fly my flag and everybody else can go to hell. That saves no one. It is only by the grace and mercy of God that we live in this nation. Somebody needs to remember that. And I'm going to tell you this. It's starting to go away. This is going to endure. This is not. And I will not answer to Joe Biden when my life is over. And I will not answer to Donald Trump when my life is over. I will answer to Jesus Christ. Because it's the only opinion that matters. So here's the question. How do I do that successfully? I need to make a presentation before God. All that he's done. All that he's done. All that he's done. Mercy, 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 mercy. Lists upon lists. This book is packed with his love for you and me. And now Paul is calling us. I need a response. Let me tell you how to do it right. If you're going to do it, do it right. You've got this body. You've got this mind, will, and emotions. As a priest, as a believer priest, bring this offering to God. Don't offer your body to unrighteousness anymore. That's not who you are. Offer this body to God. Why? Because Christ made it possible. You are in Christ, not in the world. Stop acting inconsistent with your present location. You are in Christ. Now watch this, verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under what? You're under grace. It's a whole brand new realm. I don't have to do anything to meet the expectation of God for acceptance. I am fully and wholly accepted by Him because of what Christ has done, and so now there is a gratitudinous response that needs to flow out of me. Thank you for the grace. Now let me show you that I'm grateful by how I live. How do I do that? Bring everything and lay it down on the altar. Give it up. Does this mean that you've got to come to a crisis experience and experience the cross for a second time and weird things like that? No. It doesn't even have to be emotional. But where it does need to start is here. Either God's telling me the truth or He's lying to me. Now, why is this significant? Look at our verse again. You don't have to turn back. You don't don't need to. But think about this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable, there's a way to do it, to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. One of the most amazing things things about the Word of God is that it is internally consistent. In other words, you're not ever going to read a passage of Scripture that you're going to find that is in contradiction with another passage of Scripture. In fact, what you're actually going to find is that they amplify one another. So anytime we see something that's a contradiction or we want to chalk it up to a paradox or something like that, I guarantee you we just need to get our minds alone with the Lord, study more, pray Ask for illumination. Seek His face and watch Him lead us into deeper levels of truth. We have have an incredible package in the Word of God that's known as types and antitypes. Let me give you this real quick because this is important whenever you're reading God's Word to understand this. Dave, can we bring those definitions up, please? If you want to know what a type is. A type is an Old Testament person, office, ministry, or practice, that finds resemblance in the New Testament. So it's something going on in the Old Testament that you find some sort of resemblance that's taking place in the New. This is coupled with, or paralleled with, grouped with, an antitype. What the antitype is, is a New Testament person, or office, or practice, ministry, that corresponds to the Old Testament truth. Now we've been spending a few weeks on the whole idea of we are believer And what we found is, is there's a great deal of what is pictured in the Old Testament priesthood through the Levites, and through Aaron in particular, that resembles that of Christ as our high priest, and the work that we are to be about as the New Testament church. The difference is, is that only one segment of the Jews was called out, the tribe of Levi, in order to serve as priests unto God. But with the church, the way that you become a priest is you are a believer. Every single person is a priest. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a priest. And if you are a priest, you are responsible for a service to administer to the Lord. Now, let's get to the dusty part of our Bibles, and let's turn to Numbers chapter 8. If you're reading in Numbers lately, you are highly favored. Numbers chapter 8. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book. We're going to start in verse 5. Remember, when we see all caps, L-O-R-D, we're talking about Yahweh, the self-existent one. This is His personal name, or we might say more particularly, I am, is His name. It says here in verse 5, Numbers 8, verse 5, again, Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites from among the sons of Israel and cleanse them. So there's a cleansing that needs to take place. Now watch this. Thus you shall do to them. Now stop. Notice it's not they cleanse themselves. Notice that Moses is to step in as a mediator and cleanse them. Moses is the one who's doing the work here. They are the ones who are experiencing the change. Thus you shall do to them for their cleansing. First thing here, sprinkle purifying water on them or the water of sin. Purify them or cleanse them. This represents a cleansing from sin that takes place. Notice the next one. And let them use a razor over their whole body. This represents a removal of Of the old nature. I don't know about you, but I couldn't help but be curious. I wonder if they did their eyebrows as well. I just, that's just what I think about. Whatever, move on. All hair gone. It says here, and wash their clothes. This is the idea that they are covered in the Word. Anytime that you deal with water, it's very representative of the Word. Well, cleanse their clothes. Wash their clothes. And they will be clean. And then let them take a bull with its grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, and a second bowl, you shall take for a sin offering. Two offerings. We understand a sin offering. The reason is, is that blood is shed for the purpose of atoning for sin. But a grain offering is something that doesn't have blood in it. But any time that you see a grain offering that is given up, it's because the idea of joy is connected to it. It's something to celebrate. This is a good thing. This is to bring happiness in the heart's of people and anything that was left over after the sacrifice was used and turned over in order to feed the priests and the levites at that time. Now watch this because it's a highly public affair, verse 9. So you shall present the levites before the tent of meeting, before the tabernacle, and you shall also assemble the whole congregation of the sons of Israel. The whole nation is supposed to be there to watch this. Okay? It says, "And present the levites before Yahweh so it's unto God that this is happening the Levites are taken out of the sons of Israel as that tribe who is designated in this manner Moses is the one who is the mediator who is doing all the work for them and they have the effects of the work that is upon them does everybody see how this type represents what's happened to us as New Testament believers we've been cleansed from sin everybody know see that we've shed off the old nature we've been washed in the word of God And now this is a public presentation because their service of the Levites is to be unto God and God alone. And so there's a commissioning ceremony. It says here, verse 10, and present the Levites before Yahweh and the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Now the reason why you lay hands on somebody is either because you are commissioning them towards a ministry or you are transferring a responsibility onto a people. Now, we're going to see that again in just a minute. We'll explain why that's important. Just keep going. Verse 11, Aaron then shall present the Levites before Yahweh as a wave offering from from the sons of Israel. Stop there. A wave offering. Anybody got in your mind kind of (laughs) like, right? When I first read that I did, I was like, yeah. No. What they would actually do, in fact, let's use an example. Zach, you busy right now? Come on up here. It helps to have a visual, does it not? Okay. So notice what he's saying again. Look at the verse. Aaron, who is Aaron? Real quick. He's the what? Priest, he's the high priest. He's the first high priest. Now think about that. Who's our high priest? Keep it together. Okay, think about this. Aaron shall then present the Levites those who were called out of the hole and set aside for particular service. They'd had their hands laid on them because there was a transference of responsibility that was taking place from the sons of Israel. It says, Aaron shall then present, there's that word present again, the Levites before Yahweh as a wave offering from the sons of Israel. And So what would happen is is that the high priest would put their hands on them like this. And it sounds silly, but they would do this with them before the Lord. We're waving him. And there's a reason why. Because there's a transference of ownership that is taking place. And when you do this in front of God, you are saying this person has been set aside as mine. They've been taken out of the position they were previously in and they now have a special designation for me alone. And so they would take it and they would wave any time they would bring an offering like that. They would take usually a piece, part of the sacrifice. You're good. You can sit down. They'd probably take a part of the sacrifice. You know, they're bringing, I don't know, something about this. I'm just using this because I've got it. And they would take it and they would wave it before the Lord because it's set aside and the ownership transference is had and whatever that priest was waving in that particular offering before the Lord was sought to be blessed by him, but it was also what they were going to have for dinner that night. It's the same type of idea. God's not going to eat people. Okay, But the idea is is drawing amongst themselves for an ownership. This symbolic opportunity as a public display was meant to communicate a point. These people serve me specially. Now watch how this moves forward. Verse 12, so the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls. Then offer one for the sin offering and the other for the burnt offering to Yahweh to make atonement for the levites now we passed apart but here's what i wanted you to see everybody see the transference of responsibility for the sin offering that's how they did it i have sin but i'm not about to kill myself for my sin so i'm going to bring in this bull i'm going to lay my hands on it and we're transferring the responsibility for sin there and then we're going to kill it in order to deal with the sin and atone for the sin in fact does everybody remember the whole idea about the scapegoat do we remember that You kill one of them because of the sin. There's the blood atonement. You take the other one and you transfer it on there and you send it out in the wilderness and a guy followed it. And he followed it, why? So that it wouldn't come back into the camp. And it was actually rumored they would get close to a cliff and he'd just kind of be like, (laughs) kick it off the side of the cliff. Why? Because we don't want sin coming back to the camp. So it's this idea of this transference. Now here's the thing. What's so special about this occasion? Go back to verse 11. Aaron, this shall present the Levites before Yahweh as a wave offering from the sons of Israel that they may qualify, watch this, that they may qualify to perform the service of Yahweh. They're set aside for a particular reason. In fact, if the high priest, Aaron, and his sons are having to deal with the whole idea of wave offerings, grain offerings, sin offerings, burnt offerings, you think their plate's kind of full. Who's going to set up the tabernacle? Who's going to do that work? Who's going to make sure that the Ark of the Covenant is placed in a certain way? Who's going to make sure that the altar of incense is set up? Who's going to make sure that the sides of that, so that you have the difference between the holy place and the holy of holies, has been set up there? Who's going to make sure that that laver, where they cleanse after sacrifice at the burnt offer or the bronze altar so that they can wash your hands. Who's going to fill that with water? It's the Levites. In other words, get this, so that the high priest can focus on doing his job, these people have been commissioned with the responsibility of filling in the service that needs to take place so that the high priest can operate successfully. See, our calling is believer-priests are because Jesus has work to do. And he's got mediatorial work to do where he is pleading the case of his blood for people before the Father as a perfect and sufficient for all time offering. That amounts to saved souls. That amounts to people coming to faith in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Who's going to get out there and set up the structure so they can understand what the priest has done? you and me. That's what we've been called to as believer priests. Watch how this runs forward. Verse 13, You shall have the Levites stand before Aaron and before his sons, so as to present them as a wave offering to Yahweh. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the sons of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. Everybody see the ownership. If you're a believer in Christ today, God has made one thing clear through the type in the Old Testament and the fact that we are believer priests in the New Testament. You are His. And you will find that the factions and the friction and the dissonance that involves our lives is because we've invited this sinful, blasphemous, damnable, other heresy, drama in our lives that have led us away from being focused on the fact that God has work to do but I'm so caught up in Oprah's book club that I can't even focus on it the church has been duped you might as well take a blindfold and put on our eyes Because I can come up with 1,400 reasons why I shouldn't serve the Lord, but maybe only a couple of why I should. And the greatest problem we have is that they involve guilt. Well, this is what I should do if I'm a good Christian. If that's your mindset, don't serve. He's not glorified in it. If that's your mindset, you don't understand the grace of God. Because grace is not guilt. We are His. He has gone to incredible lengths and in personal costs to make you His. And our response to Him is talking about the work that everybody else should be doing while we put our hands in our pockets and walk along through life enjoying everything that it has. Never thinking that somebody else needed to be invested in. Never asking the question, God, Open the door and give me the words to speak so that I can tell this person about what the priest has done for them. Are we content living that kind of life? Is that holy to the Lord? Is that pleasing to the Lord? I'm going to go ahead and say it's not acceptable to the Lord. And so if that is the response of the church to grace, when we've been brought into this enveloped ownership, this greater life that He wants us to live, supplying everything that we need, doing the work, washing us from head to toe, God forbid, shaving us from head to toe, and dealing with our old nature, And every Sunday and Wednesday washing us in the water of the Word so that this would get changed, so that this would get changed, so that this would get changed? We want to say such things as, you know, somebody really ought to... Who do you think that somebody is? See, the problem is we don't want to be a sacrifice. Let's be honest. Cost too much. I might have to give up something. In a Bible study in Harry Ironside's church when he was at Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, there was an interesting conversation that took place. One woman looked over at another and said, I've been watching you for weeks. And you just love the Lord. You just love Him. With everything that you are, with everything that you do, with all the choices that you make, I would give the world to be like that. The woman looked at her and said, that's exactly what it cost me. Think she'd trade it for anything? I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't. Holy Spirit does. I don't know what disappointment you have. I don't know what secret sin you're holding on to. But I will tell you this. A sacrifice of self and a response to grace is the beginning of remedying the problem. What I find in a lot of situations is people are so bent on being right that they don't care about what truth says. And this is especially true in marriages. Well, she did this. Well, he did that. Well, you don't know how they did this. You're right, I don't. But I will tell you this. Until we, until we start recognizing that we are owned by God, paid for with blood, and that He's got other things for us to do than to bicker and dispute about the stupid things that this world cares about. We will never be different people and we will cease to be the light that this world needs. All this is going to pass away. Guaranteed right here it tells me. In fact you find out at the end of this dispensation the church by and large fails. I would say that today needs to be a resolve in Grace Bible Church where we say not on my watch. Not this church. This church is different. Because I can't live any longer, appreciating grace and talking about how I'm thankful for what the Lord has done, and then recognize that those dark corners of my life will do everything that they can to keep light from getting them. Has God's plan for you and me ever been to hurt us? Is that what God's out to do? God ever sit back and go, you know what? I'm just real excited about pain in this person's life. I'm really excited about the coals that I just get to rough them over. I don't know how to describe that. Or is His plan for you greater depths of grace? I think we have an obvious answer. But it doesn't start until we recognize daily. Lord, here's my all. I'm presenting it to You. This is my presentation to You. I'm coming as the priest that You have made me so that You as the High Priest can continue to do Your work and I can serve alongside You making sure that those other things are in place so that ministry is effective. Not just busy. We can be busy all day long. I'm talking about effective. It starts with crucifying us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have made us candidates for mercy, recipients of grace, fully supplied by the Son Fully endowed by the Spirit. Eternally secure by Your promise. You own us. There is no other God. And there is no other way. What do we need to deal with this morning? What is it that we withhold from you? Maybe we don't readily have an answer on the tip of our tongues. But we know the Holy Spirit can bring it to light. Father, help us when we think that the way we're handling Areas of our lives are better than what you could possibly do. That is unbelief. That is sin. You are the creator of life. You know how to live life. You call us to submit our lives to you. Not in order to receive grace. But as the logical response to grace. Help us to make that decision now. We pray it in our great high priest's holy name. Amen.